your Bibles this evening and turn to Exodus in the chapter 19. Exodus in the chapter 19, we're entering into the chapter at the first verse. Exodus 19, the verse 1. The Word of God says, In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt I say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which I shall speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people, and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. Ending our reading there at the verse 9. Now as we come to make our way through the Word of God and continuing our thoughts even in these covenants of the Bible, wrenching ever closer to the next covenant that is given to us. But tonight we come to consider this question, why was the Mosaic Covenant given? Why was the Mosaic Covenant given? It's all part of our introductory remarks to this covenant. And once more, we make no apology for spending this time on introducing this covenant as it remains, of course, our firm belief that there is much to gain, sometimes more to gain, from introducing the covenant and as much as we come to, begin, to gain from the facts of the covenant itself. And so as we continue working our way to the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus, and to the foothills of Mount Sinai, we set ourselves this task tonight, answering the question, why was the Mosaic Covenant given? In doing so, I will lay before thee three reasons I believe that we find this covenant given to us in the Word of God. But before we do that, I want to lay before you one reason that it was not given. The Mosaic Covenant was never intended to be a means of salvation. Nowhere in the Word of God do we see any teaching that salvation can be known by the works of man. Rather, the Word of God has consistently taught that salvation is by grace through faith. And that is something that is consistent right from the beginning to the end. Paul the Apostle is one who sheds much light upon this truth. For in Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9, he says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. 
It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then also in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, he says these words, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. In the book of Galatians, in the chapter 2, he writes this, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And so time and again, he sheds this light on the truth that salvation doesn't come by works. It doesn't come by adhering to a code or to a practice of law that is laid down in a framework such as we find within the Mosaic Covenant. No, salvation is by grace through faith. And so quite clearly, the Scripture teaches that the law was not given to provide redemption, for redemption could only ever be a work of God's grace completed by Christ, demonstrated and applied by the Holy Spirit. But why then was the Mosaic Covenant given? The first reason I submit to you tonight is simply to confirm their witness. As the Israelites know what it is to be brought out of Egypt and to now find themselves in the wilderness following after God, God is seeking to conform their witness for him. Notice with me there in the chapter 19, and the verse 5 where it says, Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. This covenant was given to the people of God. And this was their privilege to be known as and to be sure in the truth that they were the people of God. Cast your mind back to the Abrahamic covenant and see that this was God's intent. For in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 7, he says unto Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And so as we come into this book of Exodus, we see that God has already stated to Abraham that he desires to be a God unto a people. <clears throat> he desires to know a people who are set aside for him, a people who know his love upon them, a people who bask and shine in the reality that they are the people of God. And this is the people I submit to you that we find here in the book of Exodus. Come to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus in the chapter 3. 
We noted, of course, last week in chapter 2, how that God heard the groaning of His people, how that God saw the predicament that they were in, how that God in His mercy and His grace looked upon them, set into motion a plan that would see their deliverance. But read with me in chapter 3, and we see the commissioning, the calling of this man Moses. Now, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire, out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, a bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have, seen the, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and the Hivites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now therefore, and I will send unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. <coughs> now understand as we come to this passage that here we see the introduction of this phrase that is commonly repeated right throughout Old Testament Scripture. For there in the heart of verse 7 and there in the heart of verse 10, God calls these Israelite people, my people. And these are words repeated by God not once, not twice, but 13 times from the commissioning of Moses here in this chapter right through to the deliverance of the people of Israel at the Red Sea. Thirteen times God says, these are my people. Come to chapter 6. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians... And I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it you for an heritage." I am the Lord. And so clearly here we see the stated desire of God 
that stated desire that was revealed in the days of Abraham, now beginning to be fulfilled in the life of Moses. For God here is identifying a people, a people who he calls his own, my people. A people then that he desires to be a God too, that they will know his provision, his protection, and indeed his ever uh, constant presence amongst them. And clearly in the words of Scripture, we see God making clear to the people of Israel just who they were and the special place that they have in his heart. Further evidence of this is seen in Moses' day as follows. For as the children of Israel knew redemption, he continually reminds them, I am your God. And then coming on, as we will, in studies to come to the days in which the covenant is entered into with Moses, days in which the law is given, we see the repeated phrase, my people, throughout the books of Leviticus and the books of Numbers. Now you might say tonight, well, what is the significance of this phrase? What, if anything, does this have to do with the Mosaic Covenant? Well, stay with me on this, because we must remember that God came to a people. He termed them His own people. And He did what? He redeemed them. And to a people then who He redeemed He uses this phrase to comfort them. Comfort them in times of trouble. But he also uses this phrase to chide them. Chide them in times of disobedience. In the days of Moses, God applies this phrase consistently in the context of danger and disaster. That's the comfort when something seemed to be impossible, when the odds seemed to be stacked against the people of God, he simply stated, you are my people. I am your God. But not only was this term used in times of danger and disaster, but it was also used in times of duty and direction. When God sought to lead the people, when God sought to lay down guidelines for them to follow, laws and codes which were always for their good. Then this phrase more often than not preceded the exhortation or preceded the command. You are my people, I am your God. Remember, the Mosaic Covenant was not given to redeem a people. It was given to a people who were redeemed. Redeemed unto God by blood. And the blood in view spoke forward to the time whenever the dear Son of God would shed His precious blood to secure eternal redemption and provide an eternal pardon. But nonetheless, we see a people in Exodus who are redeemed. A people who are set apart set apart to live lives worthy of their calling and to witness to one and all that they truly were the people of God. 
And so in times of danger and disaster, God spoke and said, you are my people. I am your God. In times of duty and direction, God reminded them, you are my people. I am your God. To his people, he gave a covenant, which if obeyed, promised blessing. And if disobeyed, promised cursing. Not only do we find this phrase right here in the life of Moses, specifically here in the days of the children of Israel and their wilderness journeys, but we find it repeated right throughout Old Testament Scripture. Outside of the books of the law, we come across this phrase in the books of Samuel, the books of Kings, and the books of Chronicles. Books in which you will no doubt be aware that the nation faced many struggles. That the nation of Israel were engaged in many wars. That the nation were threatened by many enemies. But yet consistently, once more, through days of danger and disaster, God called them my people. God reminded them, I am your God. Then come also to the minor prophets. Come to the major prophets. See also in these books, the phrase used no less than 146 times. Ye are my people. I am your God. And the theme of the minor prophets, the theme of the major prophets was, of course, God reminding the people of their duty. God seeking to direct the people back to days of blessing, back to days whenever they would see His promises fulfilled among them. And over and over again, He says, Ye are my people. See, as we come to this tonight, it's my belief that God has always desired His people to be a witness in all areas of their lives. That's why to a nation in bondage and under threat, a nation being pursued by their enemies, He said, you are my people. That's why to a people facing uncertain days, as they followed a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, He said, you are my people. That's why to a people who required obedience of heart, and of will to follow his commands, to obey his directions, he said, you are my people. Because no matter what it was, no matter when it was, God desired that his people would live for him and would witness by what they said and what they did. They would witness of his greatness, that they would witness of his power, that they would witness of the truth that they were a set-apart, peculiar people for him. 
Indeed, I believe that he's seeking to fulfill all that is given to us here in this chapter 6, in the verses 6 through 8. Those stated desires of God for his people. He desired that they might know deliverance. He desired that they might be set apart. He desired that they might know that they were objects of divine affection. He desired that they might know that they were a people with a future. He desired that they might know that they were a people under obligation. Friend, we are such a people tonight. We too have known deliverance. We too have been set apart in this church age. We too are objects of divine affection. We too are people with a future. We too are a people under obligation. And so whilst not the recipients of the same covenantal promises, we are nonetheless recipients of the same divine prerogative. We are the people of God. We are called to live lives which testify of Him. (coughs) So friend, tonight understand that in the darkest of hours, even when you are about to give up, even when you keep asking yourself that same question, why me, God? Understand that He says to you, you are my people. And in response to that question, why me, Lord? The question must be asked, why not you? Being a child of God doesn't exempt us from danger and disaster. Doesn't exempt us from pain or heartache. It doesn't alleviate time and again all that we're facing and all that we're struggling with. But rather, it gives purpose and perspective in such times. And yes, I know, figuratively figuratively speaking, that I'm only through the door. But I'm not so green under the collar to know that there's not people here tonight who cry themselves to sleep every night. There are people who put a suit on and a skirt and a coat and come and sit here time after time and smile and then go home to an empty house and sob until the wee small hours. I'm not so removed to know that there are not families who come in here and appear to be all okay on the outside. But behind the closed door, they're struggling with life. They're struggling with the circumstances of life. And I'm not naive enough to think that everyone who serves in this church does so because 
they're so full of the blessing of God and so full of the joy of the Lord that they want to come time after time. No, I know that there are people who serve God and they're discouraged and they're disheartened and they're almost defeated. Friend, tonight you're here. Friend, tonight your family does come time after time. Friend, tonight you do keep on serving. I tell you that by doing what you do, by bringing your family time after time, by coming yourself time after time, you are witnessing to this truth. You are a child of God. You're witnessing to people like me who view your life that I must endure hardness like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You're witnessing to the young people who come to this church and know the pain that you've been through and know the reality of the circumstances you face. You're witnessing to them that life isn't about giving up. It's about getting up and going on and doing what God has called you to do. You're witnessing to all around that, yes, you don't have the strength. But praise God, because you're His child, then He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase to added affliction. He addeth His mercy to multiplied trials, His multiplied peace. All because His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary, no one unto man. For out of His infinite goodness and riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. Why? Because He's a covenant-keeping God. And you are His child. The Mosaic Covenant was given to conform their testimony. (coughs) The Mosaic Covenant was given to reform their ways. We see that in the passage that we read together, the chapter 19, and the verse 6. Ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. Let's make no bones about it. The people of Israel had many problems. They were far from a perfect people. In fact, if you come back to Exodus in chapter 6, where we were just a few moments ago, you'll see that they were so self-consumed that when the answer to their prayers first arrived in the scene, they ignored them. Read there in the verse 9. Moses spake so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses. 
for the anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. This disobedience, this selfishness prevailed right through the days which immediately followed the crossing of the Red Sea. During these days, their behavior was characterized by murmuring, complaining, bitterness, a refusal to accept and follow God's appointed leadership. Let's look at some examples. Come to Exodus in the chapter 15. We know, of course, that the bulk of the chapter 15 is taken up with the song of Miriam, the song of the redeemed. We read in verse 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute, an ordinance, and there he proved them. From praise, the opening 21 verses, to murmuring, verse 24. This was all because they couldn't find any water to drink. That's what it says at the end of verse 22. Then when they did find water, it wasn't to their liking. So they murmured. As a side note, can I say that whenever we come to consider this passage, this passage is an important passage for the believer. Because this passage tells us how important it is to deal with Mara. Whenever you come to a point in your life, God has answered the prayer, water has been found but it's not to your taste. It's not to your liking. How you respond at Mara matters. Do you murmur and complain? Or do you accept that whatever God ordains is right? Here were people who murmured and complained. Here were people who had to be brought to Elam. Verse 27. They had to be brought on again. Come to chapter 16. They took their journey from Elam and all the congregation of the children of Israel came on to the wilderness of Sin which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month, after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. 
The children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full, for you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. No water, now no bread. The response is still the same. Murmuring, complaining, not willing to accept what God has ordained. Notice in verse 4, the divine intervention. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. The people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Come to Exodus in chapter 17. Remember, these are all evidences that the people were far from perfect. Verse 1, the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. Over and over and over again. The same sin, the same evidence of a rebellious heart, the same evidence of a selfish attitude, the same evidence of an unbelieving spirit. Here we see in these passages, and no doubt others that we could turn to, evidence of a people who left to themselves would revert to their old ways. Who went faced with things not going their way, murmur and complain, not only against men, but against God. And so as we get closer and closer to Sinai, we see a people who not only need to be reminded of who they are, but of what they must do. Of how they were to live. So I believe that one of the reasons that the Mosaic Covenant was given was so that the people would reform their ways. God comes to Moses at Sinai. God delivers a code of law all within the framework of a covenant. And it's all with the desired intent of seeing a heart reform among the people. <clears throat> I 
Here were people who were confronted with their true selves. Here were people who, according to the law that God gave, were confronted with their shortcomings. The error of their ways was laid bare. God desired that in such times, whenever His Word shone a spotlight upon them, that they would rend their hearts and not their garments. And they would do that which was necessary to return to and maintain a right standing before God. Can I say the desire of God hasn't changed? Just as it's true that we are His people, so too it is true that He desires that we would live right. That whenever the Word of God confronts us with who we are, that we would rend our hearts. And do that which was necessary to be more and more conformed to the image of His Son. That can only ever be achieved as we apply the truth of His Word more and more frequently and more and more consistently. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's Word is that mirror that allows us to see our true selves. It is that benchmark against which you and I can measure our lives. So tonight as we answer the question, why was the Mosaic Covenant given? We identify undoubtedly that one of its purposes was to expose sin and to reveal the holiness of God. Now coming as we do to this covenant in the last of the last days, we live in days when men and women have no regard for God, no regard for His Word. For many of them, it's true to say that they have no knowledge of God because the God of this world has blinded their eyes. We're living tonight in a God-denying, God-hating generation. And yes, we understand quite clearly that God's Word reveals the truth about this age. It reveals the truth about the people of this age. It reveals the truth about the doom that awaits this age. But God's Word also reveals the true nature of His church in this age. Look warm. church that he would desire to spew from his mouth, a church beset with self-created problems, 
A church marred by their own sin and shortcomings in light of His Word? A church asleep? A church failing to tarry? A church failing to watch? A church failing to serve and to conquer just as He commanded? Friend, if that is true about the church in this age, what about this church? And what about the people who make up this assembly? You and me. Looking in the mirror of God's Word tonight, are we revealed for our shortcomings? Or for his successes. As you view yourself in the Word of God tonight, is your life marred by bitterness, complaining, or pining for the world? Disrespect of authority. If that is true, then see also in his Word. That which not only reveals your shortcomings, but praise God provides a remedy for your shortcomings. Provides a pattern which will allow you to return to a right standing and maintain a right standing before God. Why? Because he's a covenant-keeping God. And you are his child. The Mosaic Covenant was given to conform their testimony, to reform their ways. But also to inform their worship. Back in Exodus, in the chapter 3, we see that God already had foretold that they would arrive at Mount Sinai to worship him. In the verse 12, he says, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God in this mountain. (coughs) So once more we see that a redeemed people are the focus people who have been brought out, the people who would know firsthand the redemption of God, the people who have been reminded that they are God's people, and now getting ever closer to Sinai, they come to worship Him. So remembering here that Sinai, this was where God entered into this covenant. We see that God entered into this covenant at a time when he desired that his people might worship him. And so clearly one of the reasons that God gave this covenant was to enhance and to regulate that worship of him. Come across to Deuteronomy in the chapter 10. 
Deuteronomy in the chapter 10, and we see a rehearsal of that which we are considering here in the book of Exodus. <coughs> Deuteronomy in the chapter 10, and read in the verse 1. At that time the Lord said unto him, Hew thee two tablets of stone like unto the first, and come up unto me in the mount, and make thee an ark of wood. Verse 10. And I stayed in the mount according to the first time, forty days and forty nights, and the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also, and the Lord would not destroy thee. Verse 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. And then read also in verse 20. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. And so to the true worshipers of Yahweh, God imparts that which will ensure true worship. And no surprise to see that true worship is guided by and regulated by His Word. John's Gospel in the chapter 4, the Lord said, But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so tonight as we come to consider this, we must ask ourselves this question, how is our worship of God guided by, informed by His Word? If this Mosaic covenant was given to His people of old to inform their true worship of Him, well, what informs our worship of Him? Well, surely it's unchanged. The truth. The truth of God's Word is what regulates and informs our worship of Him today. The truth of His revealed will. That which reminds us that all worship is to be God-centered, just as Christ said in John's Gospel in the chapter 4. And so as the Spirit of God moves within us, and as our understanding of the truth is stirred within us, it is our hearts that engage in true worship of God. We pray from the heart. We sing from our hearts. We hear the Word of God from our hearts. We serve from our heart. And all of this is vital if we are to truly know what real worship is. Real worship is a pure, untainted, without bias or prejudice acknowledgement of God. It's ascribing greatness to His person, His work, and His ways. It's subscribing to His will, His ways, and His word. 
It's exalting His person. It's magnifying His name. It begins with thanksgiving. It moves to confession. And it ends with adoration and submission. It is that which takes careful stock of His love, of His grace, of His daily mercies, His peace, His hope, His joy, His patience, His ever-open ear. It is that then which drives us to cast ourselves afresh on His mercy and grace, to plead the sanctifying power of His precious blood, to emphasize the necessity of clean hands and a pure heart, to work hard to ensure that there is nothing between my soul and the Savior. It is that which readily and willingly lays our all on the altar of service for Him, which identifies the truth that we must decrease and he must increase. Which acknowledges if he doesn't have all of us, then he might as well have none of us. Which testifies to the truth that in him and to him and of him and through him are all things. And he is Lord. Lord of all. One of the greatest choruses ever penned goes like this. How good is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend, whose love is as great as his power and knows neither measure nor end. Tis Jesus the first and the last, whose spirit shall guide us safe home. We'll praise him for all that is past. We'll trust him for all that's to come. You'd be thankful I had a sore throat tonight. <laughs> so I might just have broken out and sung again. But this God is our God, even unto death. Tell me, how does your worship of God measure up tonight? Do you love Him as you should? Do you adore Him as you should? Do you worship him as you should? He who is the first and the last, the great creator and sustainer of this world in which we live, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, the fairest of 10,000 to our souls. He who is the great Yahweh of Scripture, Elohim, Eli Elion, El Shaddai, Adonai, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, Jehovah Roth, our healer, Jehovah Nissei, our banner, Jehovah Nekedesh, our holiness, Jehovah Shalom, our peace, Jehovah Sabbath, our defender, Jehovah Ruhai, our shepherd, Jehovah Sankenu, our righteousness, Jehovah Shammah, God ever-present, the Alpha, the Omega, the great I Am, Emmanuel, God with us, the Ancient of Days, the Wonderful, the Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Ruler of Israel, the Friend of Sinners, the Rose of Sharon Fair, 
the lion of the tribe of Judah, the good shepherd, the great physician, the pursuer of our souls, the shelter in the time of storm, the author and the finisher of our faith, the day spring, the consolation of Israel, the day star, the one in whom we live and move and have our being, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great potentate of time, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God who makes covenant, the God who keeps covenant, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Simply trusting every day, trusting all along life's way. Even when my faith is small, trusting Jesus, that is all.
Father, we thank and praise Thee that we are Thy people. We are truly the sheep of Thy pasture. Thou art the one who goes before us. Thou art the one who watches over us with tender, loving care. For those tonight who are feeling bowed down and troubled by the cares of life, those who go here, from here, and to home with a heavy heart, O Lord, comfort them, strengthen them, and remind them of that truth, that Thou art their God, even until the end. Lord, for us all, help us to do that which is right in Thy sight. Help us to reform our ways. Help us to worship Thee each and every time in spirit and in truth. Help us to rejoice in the God who never changes, in the God who never fails. First in His name we pray. Amen.